0: If you want a uh, passage to turn to, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter twenty-five. Isaiah twenty-five. <clears throat> in the um, in the mid to re- really the late eighteenth uh, century to mid nineteenth century, there was a political ideology and in America, in a newly formed nation that was called Manifest Destiny. And if, if, if you remember back to elementary school and maybe junior high science or history classes, social studies, you might remember something about Manifest Destiny. It was the idea that this new, this new nation called the United States of America were, well, they were chosen by God, destiny, to be a, a, a sign, to be an example to the rest of the world of what true democracy really meant, manifest. They were, we were to be the visible sign from God that was chosen in order to show the world what, what they were supposed to be doing. And so, because of manifest destiny, we had um, politicians and leaders in our nation that were bound and determined... To stretch our country from sea to shining sea, you've heard that statement before, right? Yeah, and they so they they did things like the Louisiana Purchase. They did things like support the independence of the uh, what we now know as the state of Texas before it ever became part of the Union and it's fighting against uh, Mexico, and you remember the Alamo. Um, we supported that, we supported the um, expeditions that were to go across the country to uh, to find the other side of it, to go across the Rocky Mountains and to find California. And so, because of Manifest Destiny, it really shaped what our country is today. But it also did something else. If um, if you are attuned to national politics, which, you know, is about, like saying, if you're attuned to cats fighting. Anyways, um... Over the last few weeks, there's been a big stink about Manifest Destiny because there was a politician out west who, in speaking about charter schools, said something about the fact that Manifest Destiny has made us the country that we are today, and the Native Americans, rightfully so, got upset because Manifest Destiny was, was, let's, okay, it was a bunch of white folks walking in and saying, God has chosen us to take your land from you. Thank you very much. We appreciate your land. Now, figure out what you're going to do. Well, Manifest Destiny also caused America to be what we see it today, where religious songs are now, in the eyes of the public, are more, are more patriotic than they are religious. Amazing Grace, right? Or where entire songs were written about the United States in light of God's choosing it. Like, Of Thee I Sing right? These songs that, that are innately American, that show something that is a problem. And that was somewhere along the way, we got the idea that, that America was the symbol of Christianity. That our nation, although it is the best nation to ever live in, in my opinion, um, I've never lived in any other one, so that, take that opinion for what it's worth. Um, that it was somehow it was somehow the example of Christianity. And so because of that, we have people who deny Christ because of, of ideas like manifest destiny and so forth. But there is a nation in the Bible that, that talks about that. And, and if, you, if you really study what manifest destiny is, or if you even know what it is, it, it gives the idea that, like I said, that America is the example for the rest of the world. When in fact there are two nations in the Bible really. The Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. Isaiah 25, really the entire book of Isaiah, talks about this, this city, this nation that was going to come. Isaiah chapter 2. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established. All nations will flow unto it. The word will come from Zion, this new place that was going to be built, that was going to establish the example for the rest of the world. In the Old Testament times, you had Israel that was supposed to be the example of uprightness, of righteousness. And they took that. I mean, what we've been studying the book of Romans on Sunday afternoons. They took what they were supposed to be and turned it into a way to be prideful against other people. And so you have these two groups in the Bible, the, the Israel of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament that, that are supposed to be the example for what godly living really is, the example of what righteousness and what rightness really is. And so Isaiah chapter 25 talks about that. Now, you'll notice that I'm reading from a new translation. It's the Christian Standard Version. We use that uh, sometimes. The reason is because if you have King James or New King James, It has my name in it, and I felt a little, okay, I felt a little awkward um, reading a Bible with my name in it, okay? That's just a joke that I wanted to say. Anyways, Isaiah chapter 25, verse number one, says this, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins, the fortress." of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The cities of violent nations will fear you, for you have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storms and a shade from heat. When the breath of the violent is like a storm against a wall, like a heat in a dry land, you will subdue the uproars of the barbarians. as shade in the clouds, in the cool clouds, sorry, As the shade of clouds cools the heat of the day, so He will silence the song of the violent. On this mountain, now Isaiah chapter 2 says that the mountain is the church. On this mountain, Isaiah 24, 25, and 26 are called Isaiah's apocalypse. It's Isaiah's vision of what is going to come at the first coming of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse of the New Testament is when Jesus comes back, right? The book of Revelation. And, And pictures of of how Rome was going to, to fall because Jesus Christ's church was going to outlast all earthly man-made nations. And that at one point in the future, there's going to come a judgment that Jesus is going to establish on earth a judgment so that every single person will have to pay the consequences, whether good consequences or bad consequences, of what we've done. And after that judgment, He will take those that are His people to heaven and those that are not His people, He will be uh, sending to everlasting torment to what we call hell. Well, Isaiah is doing the same thing, but he's talking about the first time Jesus comes. Not the second time when the judgment comes and we're accepted into heaven because we're His children. But the time when Jesus would come live on earth die at the cross and and then establish the church and so he says on this mountain verse 6 the lord of hosts or the lord of armies will prepare for all peoples a great feast of choice meats a feast of aged wine and if you have new king james king james that's where my name is you see the 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 wine on the lees it's weird wine on the lees is this if have you ever gone to a fresh market or or gone to another city and gone to whole foods and you've gotten you know, the, the ritzy hipster apple juice? You know the apple juice I'm talking about where you have to shake it because all the stuff is at the bottom? You could go to Walmart and buy a dollar of... It's about a uh, 55 gallons worth of apple juice. But if you go to these fancy stores, you'll get fancy apple juice with all the stuff at the bottom and you have to shake it up before you drink it. That's the Lees. The stuff at the bottom is the Lees. Uh, it means it's extra good. So in the Bible, my name means extra good. Anyways... So, he says that he's going to prepare a feast of choice meat, a feast of aged wine. That's, that's what the Lees is. It's aged. It's, it's good. It's proper. It, it, is, it is the best of the best, okay? Prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. And remove His people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, Look, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. For the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. But Moab will be trampled in His place. As straw is trampled in a dung pile. Now you remember your study of, of the book of Revelation. Sometimes in apocalypses, in in apocalyptic literature the writers would use the names of actual nations to talk more about a a mindset than an actual nation okay just like in the book of revelation where you have babylon well by the time the revelation was written babylon was not a thing anymore and and then by the time that the things that are going on in the book of revelation occur babylon's still not a nation and so Isaiah isn't necessarily talking about Moab here. He's talking about the idea of Moab, the the mentality that is found in Moab. Moab will be trampled in his place. As straw is trampled in a dung pile, he will spread out his arms in the middle of it. As a swimmer spreads out his arms to swim, his pride will be brought low along with the trickery of his hands. The high-walled fortress will be brought down to the ground, to the dust. So that's Isaiah 25. He talks about this mountain of the Lord's house. And in that mountain is a feast. In that mountain, or on that mountain, is a place that that God is going to take away the burial shroud. He's going to destroy death forever. We'll talk about all that in just a minute. But before we get there, I want to to make some notes on the the earlier part of the chapter. Like in verse 1, where Isaiah writes that God's plans were formed long ago formed plans formed long ago that you have done with complete or perfect faithfulness. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says that we were chosen as the church chosen before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and to be without shame. As the church we this This world has a problem when it sees that the church is something that we just do on Sundays or on Wednesdays. Maybe uh, some theology of some people would say that the church was an accident. That Jesus came and he came to establish this earthly kingdom. He came to be a king like Caesar. And yet because the Jews, his people rejected him, he had a problem. Because you, you know what happened at the end of the rejection, right? The Jews didn't just reject Jesus and say, no, thank you. They put him on a cross and killed him. And so the idea is that he had to form a church because he saw that this was coming. He got here and realized these Jews don't really want me here. And so I've got to form something that's going to hold my followers until I come back, till I can establish this earthly kingdom. And so he built the church. It was just an afterthought. It was by accident. He came and he made a mistake. He came at the wrong time. The people weren't ready for him. And so he had to form something. And so we have the church. And what we do by believing that or what we do by furthering that idea is we lessen the importance of what we're doing right now. We lessen the importance of what the church of Christ, the church belonging to Christ actually is. It's not just a second thought. It's not just an afterthought because Jesus made a mistake. It's not something that we just do on Sundays and Wednesdays and we come to church. Listen, I have no problem with the statement that we're going to church because church is the gathering and what we're doing right now is gathering to worship God. But the problem with that, with taking that too far is that we forget what Isaiah said. That the plans that God did, the plans that God formed, were formed long ago before Isaiah ever wrote about the kingdom, before he ever wrote about this mountain of the Lord in Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 25. Before before he ever stepped foot on earth and wrote about these things, God had already decided that there would be a church. When we realize the importance of the church, when we realize the beauty of the church in the eyes of God, that he not only decided he was going to give Jesus Christ on the cross before he created us, because he knew that, like, like we can see on a regular basis, that we were going to give ourselves over to our own desires and our own lusts, that not only did he plan to do that long before he came and created us, he planned to build the church of Jesus Christ long before he ever created the world's. And so Isaiah says that these plans that were formed were formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. That it was complete. That everything that we needed was found in His plans. And what plan is Isaiah talking about in Isaiah 25? The church. Let's go on down to verse verse number 5. Like heat in a dry land you will subdue the uproar of barbarians. As the shade of a cloud cools, the heat of the day, so he will silence the song of the violent. People today want to know how we can further world peace. How can we get people like ISIS who are doing horrible things on behalf of their religion to, to understand that that's not helpful, that that's not equitable? How, how do we get people... Like certain countries, who I'm scared to mention because last time I mentioned ISIS, we got hacked. But now I got them covered. They aren't going to hack us this time. But what's going to happen when, what's going to happen when World War III breaks out in the future? What are we going to do? We have to stop this before it comes. Isaiah says that the plans that were formed long ago were done with complete faithfulness. That that everything that the world needs is found in the plan of God that he's about to talk about in verse number 6. That is the church. And then he says that because of this plan and through this plan, the voices of the barbarians will be stopped and that the violence will cease. Do you know the only way that we will have world peace on earth is if the church is there? That the church is supposed to be the vehicle by which people see how peace can really occur. Because when the church would be established some five, four five hundred years after this passage was written that we're studying today, there would be an interesting worldview in the Jews and the Gentiles to the point that they hated one another. That Jews saw Gentiles somewhere beneath dogs on the hierarchy of, of life given by God. And that Gentiles thought that Jews were just some weird sect of religious, cultish people that live down there. They're strange. Leave them alone. Don't have anything to do with them. And the church would show that those people can be united. That the church would show that disciples like, like the man who is called the Zealot, he's a terrorist, could be alongside Roman rulers who 15 years ago, Simon would have tried to kill at the, at the drop of a hat. If a zealot was beside a Roman official, that Roman official was in danger if the zealot could get his hands on anything that could harm him. And yet, just a few years later, there are zealots and tax collectors, Roman officials, sitting together eating dinner with Jesus Christ, who would eventually, these men, would eventually become the pillars of the church, the book of Revelation says. The church of Christ is the only way that we will have actual peace because it's the only way that God planned in perfect faithfulness. So, anyways, let's get back uh, to the chapter. Verse number 2. You have turned... The city into a pile of rock. Fortified city into ruins. The fortress of the barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The cities of violent nations will fear you. In Daniel chapter 2, God gave a vision to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel interpreted it as that this new coming kingdom, this church of Jesus Christ, would one day break in pieces all nations the biggest empire that's ever been on the history of the world, in the history of the world, the Roman Empire, broke because of Christianity. Because they couldn't hold it together. They were trying to keep their old ways of paganism, and yet Christianity was growing so much that the world saw that the way of the Romans was no longer useful. Does that mean that Christians turn and... Take part in uprisings against nations? No, not necessarily. Because the Word of God will do that. The Word of God changes the hearts of men in the nations to the point that they see their error, that they see what's wrong. And Isaiah is saying that the church is the only answer to these problems. Now drop down to verse number 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat. A feast of aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine, vintage wine. The wine on the lees, the best of the best. This feast was going to come. And in the New Testament, feasts like this were meant for one thing and one thing only. To provide what the, what the Greeks would call koinonia. We translate it Fellowship. To provide a way for people of like minds to get together and spend time together and fellowship with one another. Sometimes in the, in the Roman world, that would mean that, a, that an emperor or some Roman official would throw a feast, a giant feast with well-aged wine and choice meats. And, and your translation may even say meats with, with lots of marrow, deep, hearty food that, that the Romans would not have on a regular basis. They would throw these parties for their pagan friends so that they could spend time together. Or the, the people in, in, a, in, a, in a select area may throw a feast like this to spend time with the people of their class and their people like them. And, and Isaiah says that God is going to provide this feast, this koinonia, for us. In the New Testament, it says that every time we come together to take of the Lord's Supper, we, we partake in koinonia, in communion with God Almighty. The feast that Isaiah is talking about is the feast that we just talked about. It doesn't actually have meat. Doesn't actually have uh, wine on the lees, well-aged wine. It has. It has a piece of bread or cracker, maybe a small piece, maybe a large piece, depending on how it breaks. And you know, we go so fast when we're taking the Lord's Supper that if we break it off and we just get some crumbs then you just have to throw it in your mouth because you get kind of embarrassed, right? And then if you get a big piece, you don't know what to do. You just kind of either break it in half again and throw it back in the plate or you just eat the whole thing and you hope nobody saw it. And some some grape juice, some fruit of the vine. This feast is is worship. And what God is saying in Isaiah 25 is that the church would be the place of true, heartfelt, loving, Fulfilling worship. John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. So already in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, we have that the church is the place where God planned before the foundation of the earth. That the, that the church is the place wherein World peace and peace can be seen because we exemplify it on a daily basis. That the church is where worship is offered. Verse number seven on this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. Now, the next phrase is a phrase that you probably would hear when you're reading the book of Revelation The Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove His people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. Then and in the book of Revelation, both times in which God is said to be wiping away the tears, He's talking about in the church. So, Isaiah 25. The church is a place that God formed before the foundation of the earth that He planned long ago with perfect faithfulness. It is a place where peace can be found. It is a place where justice can be found. It's the place that... That would teach the leaders of nations that their ways are not godly. It's a place where true, fulfilling, honest, faithful fellowship worship is offered. It's the place where death is no longer powerful. It's the place where there are no more tears. Now, you and I both know that as members of the body of Christ, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you know that we cry at times. There is still sadness at times we have the loss of loved ones we have people who have done absolutely nothing wrong little little boys that are diagnosed with muscular dystrophy something that's going to change their lives forever we we understand that that even christians and part of parts of the body of christ undergo hardships so why does isaiah and and john say that but there'll be no more tears there. It doesn't see there's not going to be tears. It says that He's going to wipe the tears away. You have to have tears in order for Him to wipe them away. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we can comfort others. Well, how does He do that? This book. You see, the church is the only place where salvation is found from from death. He's going to take away the shroud of death. It's also the place where when there are physical deaths, when there are physical pains, when there's emotional pains, we have the thing that the world needs the most. And that is this book and an understanding of this book so that we can teach other people about it. In fact, drop down to verse number 9. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation for the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. We have the power of God resting on the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And because of all of these things, on that day when the church is here, which is now, it will be said, look, this is our God. Now, I want to ask you a question. And this is somewhat of a childish question. but What's the point in Isaiah saying, look, the word look in that statement, look, this is our God. We have waited for Him and He has saved us. He has given us salvation. Look, this is the Lord and we have waited for Him. What's the point of him saying, look, if we're just talking to other people, Half of the time that we talk about religion, half of the time, more than half of the time, maybe the only time that we talk about God as members of the body of Christ is when we're talking to other people who are already part of the body of Christ. And what Isaiah is saying is that these people on that day are going to go out and tell everyone about it. Isaiah 25 is not just a passage about the church, about the coming of the church. It's about the evangelism that would happen because of the church. Because we have the answer for world peace. We have the hand of God. We have the only place where true, heartfelt, meaningful, fulfilling worship is offered. We have the only way to have the shroud of death lifted off of us. We have the mountain of the Lord's house. We are the mountain of the Lord's house. I waited until the end of February... Or into January because I wanted to take some time and go through the last few uh, sermons. You, you didn't know this; I didn't tell you, but I was I was, in a sense, preaching a a series. But I didn't want to tell you because I wanted it to come into this moment. We've talked about giving over the last few weeks. We've talked about making a plan and and how to how to. Execute that plan so that we can grow in our faith. We've talked about all of these different things since the beginning of the year. Isaiah 25 is not just a passage about how beautiful the church would be. It's a passage about how beautiful the church would be and how much people would be willing to tell someone about it because of how beautiful it is. We have the only place that has the answers to every question that has ever been asked. Next Sunday... Jim is going to start a gospel meeting. And on all of the marketing for the gospel meeting we've been putting, we have all of these questions. There are 121 suicides a day in the United States of America. Every year, over hundreds, hundreds of military personnel take their own lives. There are more people who are estimated. Now, of course, this is an estimate, but there are estimated more people dealing with anxiety and depression and grief in this world than are in the United States of America. We have all of these questions. And we go to psychologists, we go to books a million, and we try to find some self-help book. We go to every other outlet to find the answers. And yet Isaiah chapter 25 verse 1 says that the plans of God, the church, were formed long ago in perfect faithfulness. That it is 100% complete. That the church has the answers for every question. And it is sad when we have the answers for every question and yet the only time that we talk to other people about those answers or when we're in this building or we're talking to other people who will meet in this building with us the next time it's open. We need to be getting out into the communities and telling people this. We need to be getting out into our families and our friends and telling people this. Yesterday, Wes and I went downtown with flyers for the gospel meeting, and we walked up to a group of—they were college-age girls. They probably just got to college, right? Been there for a couple, maybe one semester. They look brand new. They—they're still walking down Broad Street with big eyes, like we've never been here. They're probably from Arab. Anyways, um. I walked up to them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little insight into the life of a preacher. If I were to walk up to those girls, there were three girls, if I were to walk up to those girls with any statement about the Bible today, chances are they wouldn't listen to a single thing I said. I, I just, listen, people don't, people don't want to listen, especially when they find out that you're a preacher. I walked up to them with a flyer and said, hey, we're having a meeting next week. It starts one week from tomorrow, and it's on depression and grief and anxiety and PTSD. And their eyes lit up. And I said, if you can just give this to someone that you think maybe may benefit from coming to this. And I gave one flyer. Whenever I go up to a group of people, I'll get one flyer, and I'll give it to whoever walks up to me first. And then they can share it. And the other two said, can I have one too? You see, we have the answers for everything, and yet we never say anything about it. So here are some goals that I'm going to set. I didn't ask anybody about these goals, and the first thing they teach you about setting church goals is that you have to get buy-in from everyone else. Okay, I understand that. Here are the goals that I'm going to set, and I hope that we can work together for this. Ready? In a world where there are people who will never talk to us about the Bible and yet we can contact them with a click of a button, it becomes exponentially easier to spread the gospel, to spread the news that the church has the answers. And so one of the goals is if you have social media every week, check in on Facebook or on Twitter or take a picture and post it on Instagram. Do something every week So that people will know. I was studying last week about this idea. of It's called social proof. And what it means is when you see, say you're going to the new restaurant. There's a new restaurant that opens up somewhere in town. It's been open up for a few weeks and you don't really know about it. You don't know a lot about it. There's not really much on it online. But you go and you see that one of your other friends went there. You know that you are five times more likely to go simply because you saw your other friend go? Check it on Facebook. More importantly than that, it says that in the church we have this feast that God has prepared. And I hope this is one that we're all going to have to work together on. Are you ready for this? Every family worships every week. Every family worships every week. We live in a world where the likelihood of a person who is extremely faithful, whose mind is set on God, worshiping God four times a month is relatively unheard of. The statistics say that every one of us will worship one time a month. Statistically average speaking. that, That people who claim Christianity, that claim to be religious, that claim to be faithful followers of their faith will worship one time a month. Every family worships every month. We can do this. I know we can. You know why? Because we, we do it fairly regularly. And number three is to simply be the mountain, to be the place where people can come for answers. And that means That not only are we going to have to do it on Facebook and every everywhere else, not only are we going to have to be here, we're going to have to tell people about it. And I know we can work together for this because Isaiah 25 says that we have all of the answers. And that the hand of God is on the mountain. The hand of God that created the world, the hand of God that destroys nations, the hand of God that does in fact at the judgment day plan on sending people to torment because of their sin the hand of god that sustains the world is on top of the church ready to work problem is he's not going to do something for us that we won't do for ourselves and so we're going we're going to be intentional about this as a as a church family in being the mountain of god actually fulfilling what God planned long ago with perfect faithfulness. It takes work. But the thing is, um, I can't read in the Bible where when the hand of God is is acting on something that it's something that we can't do. Every time you read about the hand of God, it, being with someone, that God's right hand is with them or that they they were that God was watching over them, they always succeed. And I know we can. It will simply be the mountain of the Lord. If you want to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a psalm of encouragement for you. Um, The church is the only place where salvation can be found. That is absolutely true. But just having your name on a roster does not mean that you have salvation. Salvation comes through obedience to the birth, death, burial, crucifixion, teachings of Jesus Christ. And if you want to become a Christian, you need to reenact the death, the burial, and resurrection so that you can live up to and live with the teachings of Him. If you want to become a Christian through baptism, that's what it's going to take, but you're going to have to 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 make that decision for yourself. If you're a Christian and you need prayers, let me say this. Um, God understood that we were going to make mistakes. He still created us even though He knew that we were going to sin. He still built the church even though He knew that we were going to stumble and we were going to fail at times. and We weren't going to be the mountain of the Lord at times. And yet He still did it because, because He loves us. And so if you want to become a Christian or if you want to repent of sins, don't think that you're somehow outside of the love of God because you have sins. Believe me, you are not. Paul sinned. Peter sinned. And yet the book of Revelation says that they are the pillars of the church. If you need to come forward and let us know about wanting to become a Christian or repent of public sins, then please let us know while we do that. Thank you very much.